and welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host, our guest author. Joining us remotely is Dr. Edward Fazer. The book, All One in Christ, A Catholic Critique of Racism and Critical Race Theory by our friends at Ignatius Press, available naturally through our EWTN religious catalog. EWTNRC.com is for all things Catholic. Welcome once again to Bookmark, uh, Dr. Fazer. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. And you've been on EWTN before, and people will have even uh, had a chance to see you earlier in the year on with uh, Father Mitch kind of talking about this same topic. Let me ask you, what's the connection between uh, dealing with uh, CRT, critical race theory? It's not Catholic religious training, so it's obviously something else to do with it, And but yet you yeah. tie it into the position of the church. What is the connection in your mind? Well, the connection is that critical race theory has a number of implications for social policy, for the sorts of issues that Catholic social doctrine also addresses. But as I show in the book, what critical race theory has to say about those issues is diametrically opposed in several fundamental ways to what the church uh, teaches. And so it seemed to me um, when these issues started to come to the fore in uh, around the summer of 2020 and afterward, that there were lots of criticism raised, criticisms raised of critical race theory, uh, including uh, among people within the context of the church. Uh, for one thing, there are also people, uh, including I think too many Catholics, who are ready to take on board different ideas drawn from critical race theory. Mm -hmm. And even the critics were not saying what I thought really needed to be said, what the issues that really need to be addressed were not being addressed. And so uh, I decided to work on the book, okay. though it's not something I would ordinarily be interested in. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Obviously, you know, you position the church's position. You talk about uh, the whole idea of uh, the church being against racism. So obviously, in the initial stages of this, everybody's in favor of being against racism. So when this comes forward, people say, well, of course, but it, it goes much deeper than that, right? Yeah. So anything that labels itself anti-racist the way critical race theory and allied ideas do is naturally going to initially uh, attain the uh, achieve the sympathy of any uh, decent person but simply labeling something anti-racist doesn't mean that it's actually innocuous in its content or even unfortunately that it's even really anti-racist in content and i would say that it's actually um, something that's deeply racist even if it's a different kind of racism than the kind of racism that uh, critical race theorists attack. Right. Now, you, you quote here in the very beginning about the, the church's teaching, whatever biological and cultural differences may exist between the races, nature and grace alike, ensure <clears throat> that their basic rights and duties are the same. <clears throat> this is the deep and unshakable foundation for the church's condemnation of racism. That's right. So even though my book is in part uh, directed at, at, at an attack on a critical race theory, it's also a critique of racism itself. Uh, that's why both of those issues are uh, referred to in the subtitle of the book. And one of the themes that I emphasize at the beginning of the book, where I survey the church's teaching on these subjects, and I provide generous quotations to back up everything I say, mm -hmm. is that the church's condemnation is grounded in something deeper and more unshakable than anything that could either be established or undermined by a biological science. And that is, first of all, that the church's condemnation of racism is grounded in our common human nature as rational beings. That's something we know, mm -hmm. not 
simply through philo- through a biology, but through philosophical analysis, through the sort of analysis that a, a philosopher like a St. Thomas Aquinas would give. We all have the a common um, human nature as rational creatures, and our rationality is something that's ultimately immaterial or non-physical. It transcends mere biology. It transcends the brain and so on. And so it's not something that empirical science could either detect or undermine. Mm. Um, and it's the foundation of our rights under natural law. So that's one foundation. And the other foundation is theological. It has to do with our common calling as human beings to redemption and to salvation by way of the sacrifice of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's also something that goes deeper than anything biology could either establish or undermine. So the foundations of a critique of racism uh, are in Catholic theology much deeper than the sorts of considerations that are usually in play Mm -hmm. in secular discussions of of the issue. And going back in history, a lot of times people point to obviously the the slavery in the United States and as in all the Americas, um, and of course in elsewhere in the world. But we're focused kind of on our, our own story um, that the church condemned it. But you say it is true that the teaching was widely ignored by those who colonized the new world. But that was the church's teaching. So the fact is, the church was against it. It didn't mean Catholics are weren't uh, practicing it anywhere, right? Yes, there there are a number of uh, bits of misinformation or just, you know, in some cases, honest error that surround the discussion of the church's record uh, vis-a-vis slavery and racism and the like. And one of them is the idea that somehow the church was a latecomer mm-hmm. to the condemnation of the African slave trade and to slavery more generally, that the, somehow this only happened in the late 19th century with Pope Leo Thirteenth, and then was um, referred to also by Vatican II. But nothing could be further from the truth. As I document at length in the book, the church's condemnation of the slave trade and its insistence on the same uh, equal basic rights for all human beings, regardless of race or ethnicity, goes back centuries to the very beginnings of the slave trade, which also happens to be the beginnings of racism as a kind of ideology, which arose as an attempt to rationalize the modern slave trade. You find pope after pope condemning the slave trade in no uncertain terms. Um, And so again, I quote uh, many popes to this effect, uh, including popes who compared it to a, a doctrine of mm-hmm. the devil uh, and who declared and defined uh, that um, the peoples of uh, the New World, for example, could not be stripped of their liberty or property, um, and eventually mm-hmm. an excommunication was attached to this. So this goes back, um, this goes back centuries. This isn't something novel. It's, it is interesting, though, that it was pointed out specifically at Vatican II. You're sitting here saying that was 100 years after it ended in the United States, but it pointed out the fact that it was still an issue in other parts of the world, right? It was, and even um, um, to refer to a point that you, you made earlier, uh, even when the Church had condemned it, the popes had condemned it for five centuries, there were, of course, Catholics who dissented from that uh, teaching, the Church's condemnation of the slave trade, and who dissented from the Church's teaching on the equality of all races. But that's uh, comparable to the way that uh, these days people dissent, many Catholics dissent from other aspects of the Church's teaching concerning sexual morality, for example. There have always been dissenters from Catholic teaching. But what's fundamental is that that, that was mm-hmm. the Church's teaching. When the church finally condemned these things in the 19th and 20th centuries, she wasn't sort of coming around to where the secular world was. No, she was just reiterating what she'd been saying for five centuries. Right. It's also interesting because you talk about patriotism and you talk about immigration. What's the connection in your mind there, not only between those two, but in relation to critical race theory? Well, so uh, often uh, discussions of um, immigration and related 
issues are ones that people bring the, the racism and anti-racism debate into, uh, and sometimes with good reason, but sometimes not with good reason. Mm -hmm. And so what I show in that particular chapter of the book is that on the one hand, the church very definitely teaches that we all have a duty to welcome uh, the foreigner, to welcome those fleeing, especially economic distress, persecution, and so on and so forth. But what's often not quoted is that the church also explicitly affirms over and over again, and I, I quote mm -hmm. you know, magisterial documents and popes on this, that governments have a right and responsibility to regulate immigration, keeping in mind the economic needs of the society that, the foreign, that uh, immigrants are being welcomed into, keeping in mind the cultural cohesion of the countries that immigrants are coming into and so on, so that exactly the conditions to put on immigration, the amount, number of immigrants that can be allowed in any particular one time, these things are matters of uh, what Catholics call prudential judgment, about which uh, reasonable Catholics mm -hmm. can disagree. And too often it's only one side of the Church's teaching on these matters that is presented, and anybody who says anything about um, putting mm -hmm. limits on immigration or regulations is accused of racism, and that's simply, un it's not only unjust right. in the abstract, but it's contrary to what the church herself right. has said about the matter. Right, and that those, it quickly goes <laughs> to an ad hominem attack, which is typical of what we're seeing in the cancel culture we live in, right? You, you make the point here in their chapter about what critical race theory is, like Marxism, CRT is a great perversion of the good cause it claims to represent. Let us first survey the main claims of critical race theory and then consider the philosophical, social scientific objections against it. You say the fundamental assertion of CRT is that <laughs> racism absolutely permeates the nooks and crannies of every social institution and the psyches of every individual. Correct, yeah. And so critical race theorists often hide behind this rhetoric of anti-racism, and they say, well, how can anybody be opposed to racism? And then people are kind of thrown off balance by this because, of course, I think a decent person has to oppose racism. The problem with critical race theory, however, is it sees racism absolutely everywhere. It has this very extreme and, I would say, paranoid conception of what uh, racism and amounts to, so that it sees racism lurking behind every social institution and even behind ordinary, everyday, innocuous human interactions. Mm -hmm. So let me give you some examples. Um, you, you find among critical race theorists uh, a lot of discussion of ideas like microaggressions and right. implicit bias. What's that? Well, a microaggression <clears throat> this is the idea of an act of racism that's so subtle that the person who's allegedly committing it isn't even aware he or she is doing so. It could be something as uh, simple as uh, somebody passing a jogger in the park, somebody of another race, and not smiling. And so the critical race theorists will tend to see, well, you see, that's actually the racism of the jogger coming through. It's this hostility to someone of another race that the jogger doesn't, isn't even aware of. Or you find this idea that um, colorblindness, the idea that public policy should be neutral between people of different races and that it should uh, oppose discrimination of any kind, critical race theorists hold that, that those sorts of attitudes are racist, that public policy should not be colorblind but instead should be very race conscious and mm -hmm. race focused and attempt to favor uh, people of color over whites who allegedly are all benefiting from so-called white privilege and from the, you know, the heritage of racism and so on. So this, it's a very expansive, indeed it's a very mm -hmm. open-ended conception of racism so that pretty much anything could be made to count as racism. That's part of what's distinctive right. about critical race theory.
Right, and, and instead of equality, we're talking about equity in a lot of cases in, in the resultant that we're looking for. You say where Marxism speaks of the conflict under capitalism between the oppressive bourgeoisie and the oppressed proletariat, the CRT speaks of the struggle under systematic racism between an oppressive whiteness and opposed people of color. Uh, and in a sense saying they basically took the liberation theology and the Marxist, Marxist philosophy and just changed the words out, right? That's exactly right. So you find an emphasis in Catholic social teaching consistently back to uh, the you know 200 years plus as uh, popes started to address what was called the social question. You find a consistent emphasis on the idea that human societies are, organ are organic institutions where the groups that make up societies are like the organs of a body. They're all working together for a common good and they're not inherently opposed. Whereas the Marxist idea was that societies uh, divided into inherently hostile classes whose interests can never converge, uh, but must always be in a kind of state of war with respect to one another. The popes consistently condemn that idea that the, the wealthy and the poor are inherently at odds with one another. What critical race theory does is it basically takes this Marxist idea and I add, I'm not saying critical race theory is, quote, Marxist full stop. Mm -hmm. Defenders of critical race theory often like to attack this straw man that, oh, you're just calling us Marxists, you know, as if this was a kind of uh, swear word or something. No, it's, uh, it's not the same as Marxism, but it's analogous to it because it takes the Marxist obsession with class as the key to analyzing all social relationships and it replaces it with race. So it sees a society as a kind of conflict between inherently opposed races uh, whites and whiteness and white privilege and so on on the one hand and people of color on the other hand. But if the Catholic critique of uh, Marxism is that this is not true of human societies where class is concerned, it can hardly be any more right. true where race is concerned to, to somehow see uh, the races as inherently opposed. Right. It's interesting, too, because you connect it with talking about Marxism, but there's also a connection here, at least philosophically, as you, the underpinnings to Nietzsche, right? There is. So you find a kind of um, emphasis on what, what is called, often referred to in, in, uh, by scholars of Nietzsche, uh, on a hermeneutics of suspicion. That's, mm -hmm. the, that's the catchphrase, where a hermeneutics of suspicion is a, a theory that, that alleges, allegedly unmasks the sinister interests that underlie, say, social institutions and moral norms and so on and so forth. And Nietzsche famously uh, claims to unmask the sources of moral and religious and cultural ideas as, as what he calls the will to power. It's always the expression of some will to impose your will on others. And critical race theory does the same sort of thing. It claims to expose um, legal institutions, cultural practices, uh, religious ideas, moral ideas, and so on. All is really nothing mm -hmm. more than the expression of the interests of racist power. Mm -hmm. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't consistently apply this tool of analysis to itself. I mean, if, if all social institutions are really just the expressions of some sinister power interest, well, that would be true of critical race theory itself. It would be nothing more than the expression of the will to power on the part of those who are peddling mm -hmm. critical race theory. That part's always left out conveniently. You have a whole section here uh, of various <clears throat> fallacies, uh, the rel uh, relativism, subjectivism. And you also make the point that many times people who uh, purport uh, critical race theory deploy storytelling narrative and experiences over dispassionate logical reasoning when defending CRT's analysis of social problems. Explain. Yes, so this is another way in which 
critical race theory is radically different from what people usually and traditionally associate with the cause of fighting racism, things like the traditional civil rights movement. Traditional civil rights movement put a heavy emphasis on the idea that there's a common human nature and a common human rationality to which we can all appeal to settle our disputes. And critical race theory denies that. It says that, you know, this emphasis on rationality and on individual rights and on individuals by reasoning together, coming to resolutions of their disputes, that that is itself somehow an expression of racism and helps to keep the racist power structure in place, et cetera, et cetera. And so instead of that, there's an emphasis uh, on personal narratives and personal grievances where the claim that someone suffered oppression or has a grievance is based on the subjective feeling that one has done so. One's experience of having um, experienced racism trumps any sort of objective evidence. The whole idea of objective evidence and rational discourse, that's part of the racist power structure. All I have to do is appeal to my own subjective experience as somehow a rationalization or a justification of my claim to having been oppressed. And this is one of the ways in which critical race theory fosters very irrational and subjectivist and I would say, frankly, paranoid habits of thought. Right. Also, I, my impression was you also see it in a sense that many times people take this individual situation projected onto the group. Yes. Yeah, so it's, you know, um, critical race theory tends to speak of these abstractions, whiteness, for example, or uh, white supremacy or white privilege, uh, as if they were almost personal forces so when anyone, uh, any individual person offends you, it's really, you know, white supremacy, white privilege, white power that is harming you through the instrumentation of this purpose. And so you get what I also describe in the book as almost a kind of Gnostic view of the world where, right. reality, where the world is divided between these unseen forces of evil on the one hand, uh, namely white supremacy and um, white privilege and so on, and the critical race theorist and those who are enlightened by or, you know, woke by the critical race theorist who can see what's really going on on the other, uh, where there's really no foundation for this other than the subjective feeling or experience of the, uh, the critical race theorist or the reader of critical race theorist uh, writings uh, itself. Well, you say here in the section on the church specifically, while the church commands the rich to come to the assistance of the poor, she also makes it clear that this has nothing to do with the socialist goal of equalizing outcomes, and that's where we get that equity being pushed. Yeah, so one of the, one of the things that critical race theorists often point to as a, uh, an infallible proof of the racism of Western society is that there are inequities. So what's an inequity? Well, an example would be, say, if 10% of a population of a country is of a certain race, but less than 10% of stockbrokers uh, or of some other profession are of that race, mm -hmm. that's a disparity, that's an inequity, and it's per se unjust. It is, uh, by its very nature, racist. Mm -hmm. So the claim is made. Now, one problem with this is that it's never consistently applied. So if you have fields where um, that are dominated by some group that's not white, by people of color, say, that's right. never treated as somehow a racist inequity. And there's never any explanation right. given of, well, if inequity is as such evil in one case, why is it not in these other right. cases? So there's an inconsistency there. That's, that's one problem. But another problem is the idea that somehow inequities could only ever arise from racism there's simply no evidence for that and lots of evidence to the contrary, that a lot of uh, differences 
between uh, groups, a lot of differential outcomes owe to different cultural practices and the like. Right. And um, there's never any argument given for why this is not a reasonable alternative right. explanation. It's simply dismissed as, as racist. Another aspect here you have in the book here, which I'm sure raises, nor is it just uh, radical egalitarianism concerning material conditions the church rejects. The church all condemns the, also condemns the claim that all cultures are equally good in every important aspect, and that's something we hear all the time because one can't be better than the other. Right. So um, uh, writers like uh, Ibram Kendi, who's a popularizer of critical mm -hmm. race theory, holds that. Um, it's not just the idea that races are somehow biologically inherently different that's racist, but even the idea that cultures are different and that you can attribute outcomes to culture, different cultural practices, that he dismisses just a priori as racist. Now, one of the problems with this is that here too, uh, it's never consistently applied. This claim is never consistently applied. So if somebody describes the cultural practices of some ethnic group and says, well, these are, you know, responsible for different economic outcomes, Kendi would say, well, that's racist. You can't disparage or in any way judge the cultural practices that predominate in some ethnic group. But at the same time, he will insist that the culture of so-called whiteness um, is inherently racist and evil and wicked and oppressive. Well, you can't have it both ways. I mean, if right. you're going to say that you can never uh, cast any sort of negative aspersions on or give a negative description of, of any cultural practices, then it would have to include whites themselves. So there's that inconsistency. But there's also the idea that somehow all cultures are equally good. Kendi insists on that, and that's part of being an anti-racist. But that's something the church herself has condemned repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And if the church, as she's traditionally uh, held, uh, teaches that some cultures are deficient with respect to, say, the uh, religious truth, they have less in the way of religious knowledge because they don't have access to the gospel than other cultures do, then it can hardly fail to be the case that some cultures might be better than others in less important matters than theological matters. Right. So there you find also a ground for a condemnation right. of this cultural relativism that, that writers like Kendi think is, is uh, essential to being an anti-racist. Right. You're saying, given the church's teaching on homosexuality and the objective and complementary differences, complementary differences between men and women, she can also hardly accept the CRT position that traditional views about sexual morality, gender roles and the like amount to sexism, homophobia and transphobia are therefore compatible, comparable to racism, which is what everything it gets compared to, right? That's right. So um, a lot of people who are interested in critical race theory and think that it might be innocuous, people coming at it from a Catholic point of view, uh, may not realize that um, adopting critical race theory involves adopting much more than some doctrine about race. It ends up being a doctrine about uh, all kinds of alleged oppression. Uh, and this happens through the idea of what's called intersectionality, that you have a number of uh, varieties of oppression. Um, you have sexist oppression, you have homophobic mm -hmm. oppression, you have transphobic oppression, you have oppression of the disabled, et cetera, et cetera. And that uh, Western society uh, somehow imposes a kind of intersection of these oppressions on different individuals. And then popularizers of critical race theory like Kendi will insist that for that reason, to be a consistent critical race theorist, you also have to condemn all these other kinds of oppression. Well, it would follow from that that the church's teaching on sexual morality, for example, 
uh, must somehow be inherently oppressive. Right. And that you have to buy that conclusion if you're going to go along with critical race theory. And so this is yet another way in which the teachings of critical mm -hmm. race theory are simply incompatible with those of the Catholic faith. Right, just point out, like Marxism and Nazism, critical race theory cannot exempt religion from its totalitarian mm -hmm. designs. And you quote Kendi here, pits liberation theology against what he labels as quote-unquote savior theology and insists that the former alone acceptable from the CRT mm -hmm. point of view. It goes on to say, Jesus was a revolutionary and the job of the Christian is to revolutionize society, to liberate society from the powers on earth that are oppressing humanity. That's right. So Kendi um, explicitly says, and I quote this uh, material in the book, that we need to draw a distinction. And here he's addressing the question whether you can reconcile critical race theory with mm -hmm. Christianity. And he says, well, we need to draw a distinction between what he calls savior theology, which is the idea that Christ's mission was essentially to come and die for us on the cross, uh, and that through this sacrifice we could be saved from our sins. And so that salvation involves accepting this sacrifice and reforming our behavior. That, he says, that's savior theology, and that, he says, is an ally of racism and an ally of racist power. Liberation theology yeah. is instead the idea that what Christianity is all about is liberating us from unjust social structures. It's about a kind of political revolution, and it's about seeing Christ as a political revolutionary. And that, he says, is the only kind of uh, theology that's compatible with critical race theory. Well, what he calls savior theology is, of course, just traditional Christian theology. Yeah. And what he calls liberation theology is exactly the sort of thing that the church repeatedly right. condemned, especially when it became a big thing in the 1970s and 1980s, and uh, Pope St. John Paul II, and his uh, chief doctrinal officer, then Cardinal Ratzinger, who went on to become Pope Benedict XVI, repeatedly condemned this idea as inherently hostile to uh, Catholic doctrine. Right. So we have yet again another outright incompatibility between the two views. Okay, very good. And you even quote Ratzinger's 84 statement that it seems to put, liberation theology seems to put sin in second place. And I think we've seen a lot of that today. Well, we appreciate you being with us, uh, Dr. Edward Fazer. We're just out of time. The book is All One in Christ, a Catholic critique of racism and critical race theory from Ignatius Press, uh, worthy read. It'll make you think. Check it out through our EWTN Religious Catalog, of course. And I'm Doug Keck. Thank you for joining us right here on EWTN's Bookmark. We'll see you next time.